Welcome to Sunrise Live, the podcast where we have deep conversations with fellow freelance models. Today, I have Bunny Luna on the line. Say hello. Hi. So good to see your face. We're actually recording via a video streaming right now. So fun stuff. Yeah, it is great to see your face. It's been a couple of years since I've seen you in person, but yeah, I definitely see thinking- you online all the time. I was just thinking about that. We did a really beautiful hike. And I think that was, was that in Washington? In Twin Falls, I think. Yeah, that was in Washington. I think that was the most recent. And prior to that, you were traveling in North Carolina and came. We did some shooting in my house. That's right. Yeah, I went to your house and I got to pose with your crystals. And that was so cool. By the way, I just, I loved being in your space. It was actually, like, it was super memorable for me because, like, your space just felt so welcoming and the way that you described like your relationship with your parents and your family, it just, it seemed so magical and beautiful. Oh, thank you. I feel that all the time. I feel really thankful and lucky to have the really cool family that I have. Yeah. And this house is great. So thank you. I'm glad you see it too. (laughs) Yeah. I have found that in a lot of the model interviews that I've done in the past, a lot of models come from a history where their parents were very strict and not very accepting. And mm-hmm. it's really a breath of fresh air to find somebody whose parents are seem to be really chill and nice and open-minded. So yeah, my parents are super supportive. Like my nude photos are in the like living room and like in the main parts of the house. And I've done nude photo shoots with my parents before. So yeah, it's it's definitely a different experience than most of my peers, but I'm really thankful for it. I think it's awesome. And it's just, it's a great way to, to be like entering into the world with just like a, a comfortable nest to spring from. It's, it's what it seems like from my perspective. So it's just cool. Yeah, definitely. So on this podcast, we we go quite a lot into freelance modeling. I know that your freelance career has taken you to some new and exciting, interesting places, but I'd like to go backwards in time and kind of talk about like the history of Bunny Luna. Can you describe how you first got into modeling and then how your career has progressed till it's led you to where you are now? Sure. So I actually was a photographer before I was a model around 2010. I really got into photography and, well, I was into photography before that, but I got into like nude artistic photography in 2010. And soon after that, I started taking self-portraits because that was just natural to me. And they also naturally like went into nude self-portraits. And I started taking photos of friends. And then I had friends say, hey, I have a photographer friend that wants to shoot with you. I know you do self-portraits. Like, would you be interested in modeling for a photographer? So yeah, I think I modeled for my first photographer in 2010 or 2011. And then it just kind of snowballed from there, starting with photography and going into modeling. And I did a couple of small tours with a couple of model friends. Maybe that was like 2014, 2015. I have gotten more like more lately, way more into the event facilitation organization space instead of modeling and photography. I kind of got a little burnt out after a whirlwind of a cross-country road trip in 2019, which was amazing and life-changing. 
but I needed a shift in like where I spend my energy after that. So I haven't actually been doing as much modeling or photography since 2019, with the exception of like a few special events with friends and things like that. That's cool. So when you were first doing your self-portraits, what platforms were you sharing your self-portraits on? Oh, okay. So I think the very first <laughs> platform I shared self-portraits on was the Live Journal. Uh, wow, cool. <laughs> yeah, way back in the day. And then definitely I had a Tumblr account. That's where I really first started seeing a lot of the art nude work from other people. I was super inspired by that. And this was in the the good old days of Tumblr where nudity was allowed and there was, you know, all kinds of content on there. I also have, I guess I technically still have a Model Mayhem account, but it was primarily Tumblr when I first started. A little bit of Instagram, but I think it was 2018 when I had a like my largest Instagram account just randomly deleted out from under me. So I haven't had trust in that platform ever since, even though I'm technically still there. <laughs> but Tumblr, I think, was a really big start for a lot of us, like freelance models. I have a lot of friends that have, like, we've had conversations about how much we miss, like, the good old days of Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. So you were doing self-portraits, and was that income generating, or was it just self-expression? Primarily self-expression, some income generating, because it's things that I could put on my Patreon and things like that. Like there's always things that I could add to my Patreon because I'm taking self-portraits or going on trips and taking videos and vlogs and things like that a lot. So definitely Patreon, but I am not the best at marketing myself. It's not my forte or my favorite thing to do. So I kind of avoid it. <laughs> so I think I probably could be uh, making more on Patreon if I was putting myself out there, which I'm not really doing. Yeah, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. <laughs> I'm just tired of social media in general, to be honest. I'm focusing on like real life things and spending time with people that I care about like in person way more. And that's been way more fulfilling. That's cool. That's, I mean, in the end, that's what you really want to remember. Like when people are on their deathbeds, their last wish isn't that they worked harder or worked more overtime or whatever it's that they felt more connection with the people around them so i think you're on the right path there yeah <laughs> thanks so you're doing self-portraits and then some photographers saw them and wanted to shoot with you and some other fellow models wanted to be your subjects as well at what point did it start becoming like a, a serious income source for you to be honest it has never been a primary income source for me most of the time that I was doing freelance modeling, like actively doing it, it was like a part-time job for me or like a passion project for me because I, most of the time prior to 2019, I was just working full-time for various places, mostly in healthcare. So I would be just doing it on my free time and going on trips when I could. And yeah, like looking back on my calendar in those days, I'm like, how did I do all of those things? Yeah. How do I have a full-time job and do traveling and modeling? Like, how? <laughs> yeah, I look back on what I used to do because I've slowed down the amount of things that I do as well. And looking back, especially to the tours or the trips that I used to schedule myself, I don't know how I stayed sane either. I know that you were doing a trip out of your minivan that one time that we went for a hike and I thought that was fascinating. I was like, let me see your van. But, but yeah, like that sort of lifestyle, it's, I don't, I, I would have to be insane to start it up at that 
excessive amount. Yeah, the 2019 road trip that I went on, I was by myself in my van for a little over two months. It was 69 days total. I went across the country and back. And that was probably the most amount of money and like modeling and like photo gigs that I had of my modeling career was during that trip. But I didn't even do all that much on that trip because most like the first month practically was me by myself in Utah, just like doing what I wanted to do. It was a lot in of Utah? Yeah. I'm in Utah right now. It's so awesome. Utah's my favorite. I love Utah so much. <laughs> yeah. What area were you in approximately? Oh, Southern Utah. I went, so I did like Arches, Canyonlands, Dead Horse Point, like that whole Moab area. I went to Goblin Valley, Zion, Bryce. Oh, where else? Grand Staircase, Escalante. I went into Nevada and did Valley of Fire. Like I was at a ton of national parks. That's sweet. I'm sort of in that area. I'm kind of in between Goblin Valley and Capitol Reef right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful out there. Yeah, totally. It's inspiring to be out here. I'm excited about it. But yeah, like being in nature and being in beautiful settings is definitely, it fuels me like mm -hmm. more than being in a studio. Yeah, if I were to go on a like modeling specific trip again, it would be primarily to work with people outside. I'm not really interested in studio or like lifestyle kind of things that people's houses or like boudoir, any of that. Like I would come out of my semi retirement as a model to do an art nude out in landscapes for sure. Sweet. And that reminds me, one of the topics that you mentioned that you'd like to get into is called eco sexuality. And as I was reading a little bit about it online, it's like your connection with nature more as a lover. I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on that because I know you're probably a bit more well-versed in it than I am. Yeah, I would love to talk about it. I, I actually have like hours of video on my YouTube channel all about ecosexuality. Like I could talk about it for a very long time. But the short and sweet description of like the definition of ecosexuality is seeing the earth as a lover or a partner instead of as an e a resource to exploit. And for me, that can encompass many different things. Like I'm a person on the asexual spectrum, which means I don't experience sexual attraction to people easily. The part of the spectrum I'm on is I have to have an emotional bond with them before I have any kind of like sexual feelings. So uh, what, and that's called demisexuality. But to me, ecosexuality could include asexual people and allosexual people. Allosexuality is like the generic, what you would expect from people, like people that do experience sexual attraction. So for me, ecosexuality could include anyone, whether you're actively sexual or not. And a big part of that is because I have a slightly different definition of what sex is. For me personally, I see sex as intentional consensual pleasure. So it doesn't even have to do with genitals at all or like touching at all if you don't want it to. I like that expansive view of sexuality because it's intentional and consensual and pleasure. And that can be so many different things. It can be like taking a swim in a river, like near a waterfall. It could be standing outside and feeling the sun on your face and like the breeze on your skin. It could be cuddling your dog. Like that's intentional consensual pleasure on all of those. 
yeah i sorry i i just like info up for a second so i want to like pause for a moment and see if you have any questions or like need me to elaborate on anything i definitely i align with a lot of that too actually yesterday i was feeling a bit of stress and i just went outside here in utah and there's like nobody around here it's like just blm land and i just laid a towel out and i like sunbathed nude and it was nice and i felt better af after that so i suppose in a sense that would fall under that definition of intentional consensual pleasure just being out in nature so mm -hmm. yeah I'm, I'm about that i think that's awesome i all the time just going for a walk outside is nice yeah, I had never heard of ecosexuality, but once I heard about it a few years ago, I think it was maybe 2018 or 2019, maybe. I feel like it was 2018. But once I heard about it, like my whole perspective of things changed. And I was like, wow, okay, this is a label that I feel really fits me. And this feels really comfortable to me because it also isn't connected with like your gender or anything either. And as a like non binary, agender person, I don't relate to the sexuality labels that have like gender attached to them so ecosexuality is this big expansive label that really fits me because of ex expansiveness cool and i would probably say that a lot of people would probably feel similar pleasure with just being outdoors and enjoying the elements mm -hmm. so so yeah i think more people should hear about that i mean i'm glad that we talked about it on the podcast because like the term initially, I was like, what? What could that mean? Loving Mother Nature or whatever. But no, it, it's a lot more like my soul connected to the earth type mm -hmm. of thing. That's kind of how I'm getting that. So it's really cool. And then yeah. just like, you know, taking self portraits in nature or like being out there to be creative in general, it kind of goes along with, you know, being a creative person doing modeling, doing photography. It's an extension of like what you were doing before. Yeah, it naturally like fits into my whole life, <laughs> basically. Also, like to me, the distinction between like a really like dual, what are the words I'm trying to think of? For me, ecosexuality is not just about like the individual since it has to do with your connection to the earth, which encompasses all things. It's also kind of a reminder to like take care of each other and that we're all interconnected, even if we don't really see it in our day to day lives. Like literally every single being on this planet is connected because we all live here. So I think that that is also important in terms of the ways that there are so many crises around the world, like in very many ways. Yeah. Um, it kind of helps ground us in like love of self and other instead of like oh let me just like protect this one thing or just myself to try to like i don't care about anybody else let me just like do me when we really need to think of the whole because we're all a part of this planet and we're connected to each other yeah i, I think if more people were feeling more connected to the earth and to each other then <laughs> this is making me think about like everything that I've seen lately on the environment and global warming and like all the, it thinking about it too much kind of like stresses me out. And, yeah. and I, I try not to let these things like overwhelm me, but sometimes it's overwhelming. We were just, my boyfriend and I were just watching a planet series about 
you know, how the Antarctic is melting and like the seals don't have places where they can rest and the bears have to hunt by swimming instead of walking on land because everything's melted. And I was just like, this is making me really sad right now. Yeah, that's really scary and overwhelming and big. And I feel like the lens of ecosexuality kind of helps a little because it's more of a lens of love and care instead of like, oh, these are all the things that are wrong. It can kind of help us like remember in the times of like despair when everything seems like it's going wrong that okay we have love for this planet and we are inherently loved by the planet because we are a part of it so even if things are really scary and not going well we can fight for that love instead of like fighting over something else like fighting over like resources or whatever like what it's like the the inspiration is love instead of fear. Love that. And that, that can also translate to other things. Like, like I, I could also relate that concept to like standard relationships. Like if you're focusing on everything, the relationship itself, that's not working with another person, then things are just going to deteriorate because you're focusing on the things that aren't working. Not that you shouldn't focus on them because then you won't grow past them. But like the love and the connection that you have when you love another person is what's going to carry you through those times. So yeah, I guess it's one of those perhaps universal principles that can relate to a lot of other things. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It comes full circle. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Awesome. Thanks. Me too. So you said that the only way that you might jump into another possible tour ever for modeling is if it was all nature-based. Do you see that as a possibility in your future? It depends very heavily on a lot of factors, but mostly if I could get bookings in the places that I'm interested in that value my time and that have similar values to me. I am not really willing to work with people that don't have similar values to me and don't see me as the person that I am. Like, for instance, if the photographer wants to do something like super feminine and like doesn't see me as an agender person and only sees me as a woman because of the gen- like the body that I have, then I don't want to work with them. So it's gonna it would have to be very specific people, specific circumstances, but I'm definitely not opposed to it. I think it would be super fun to do some kind of road trip. Like if there were a couple of photographers that I knew and trusted to like go on a road trip with them and just go to a bunch of places and take a bunch of photos for like a week. That would be a dream. I would love to do that. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that does sound like fun. Reflecting back on your history and modeling, I have this bit on my podcast that I like to call the photo shoot fail of the week. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a fail. It doesn't have to be negative. But can you think of a memorable, crazy photo shoot story that you have? Well, there's this photographer that I have worked with several times. And he's really nice, great person. We've taken photos at this place multiple times but one of the times this photographer and I went to this particular location there was a small fire in the woods this is an outside place a little park there was a fire in the woods like a forest fire very small like the there were no flames that were higher than like six to eight inches like it was very small just like on the ground there wasn't a lot of like underbrush so there wasn't much to burn anyway And it was such a small fire in like just this one area. It was 
I'm not really good with like looking at something and knowing how big it is, but it was smaller than a football field, I would say, okay. <laughs> of, like, of like fire in the woods. And because it was so small and like so short, we were like, okay, maybe it's a controlled burn. So we just like took some photos in it, like with me next to the fire. Wow. And then, and then we kept hiking and doing photos like by this waterfall and like other areas. And as we were coming back, the like fire department was there like putting it out because it wasn't actually a controlled burn. Oh. If we knew, if we knew that it was not a controlled burn, we would have like called somebody, but it just, it was so small. We really thought that like somebody knew that it was going on. It was fine. Yeah. I mean that about this football field size with flames that are only six to eight inches, that description sounds like it would be a controlled burn. So like if the flames were huge, I would, you know, call 911 or whatever, but well, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> they were so small. We really thought it was a controlled burn, but it really actually wasn't. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's, that's kind of messed up, but like, I'm sure that the fire was controlled. I'm guessing like. Yeah. By the time we were leaving, there was like a fire truck there and firefighters, like people were doing things with the fire to control it. So Okay. And I've since been back there and there was no major damage. So I know nothing really bad happened, thankfully. That's but good. it was just, it was a surprise to like show up and there was a fire. And then as we left, they were like taking care of it. We we're like, oh, oops. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that was a unexpected thing for today. Wow. Was the ground like, was it dry or was it sort of like a temperate kind of a like forest? It was pretty dry. I think it was in the summer. It was like a, you know how most like pine forests are really sandy and they have all the like pine needles on the ground. It was more like that kind of. Okay. It was a lot of like pine trees. There were other trees sprinkled in, but it was a lot of pine and a lot of pine needles and stuff. So it was mostly just like the pine needles that were on fire and some like, okay. pine cones and stuff. Oh, I see. It's interesting. Wow. Yeah, that was not what I was expecting that day. I'd like to see those photos. <laughs> I'll have to DM them to you. Cool. It's experiences like that, that like, I like to look back on other things that I did that were like, you know, memorable. And it, it definitely makes me like, think of freelance modeling as kind of an adventure at times. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. I've been on a lot of model adventures because sometimes once you like know the photographer and are friends with them and sometimes it's just like hey let's go hang out and find a place to shoot and we have no idea what we're gonna do you just like roam around and find something cool i've been to so many abandoned places and weird nature places and places like under bridges and near big city town things but like still kind of in the woods tucked away there's all kinds of weird things you can get into <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I love that stuff, too. And the more I pose in like locations like that, like outdoors or like abandoned places, like you mentioned, the less I want to pose in studios or hotels. Same. Sometimes yeah. you got to do what you got to do, but definitely yeah. my preference is something a little more unique. Yeah. I want to talk more about your self-portraits. Like, were you doing the double exposures initially when you were doing those self-portraits? I started doing self-portraits and double exposures probably around the same time, but I didn't incorporate them together for a little while because the way that I do double exposures, they're on 35 millimeter film. So they take a lot more like time and effort and like 
energy and thought to do them. And it's a lot harder to do as a self-worker with film than with digital. So it it was a while before I did incorporate self-portraits and double exposures, but I actually have a double exposure self-portrait that I just brought home from a gallery show that it was in for a couple months that I took in 2020, I believe. Cool. Um, yeah, I, double exposures are my favorite. Self-portraits are my favorite. So like combining them is really special. I just haven't done it a whole lot. The double exposures that we did when we were at your place are some, I still think they're some of the coolest photos of me. And a lot of people, when I've posted them over the years, because like I'll recycle them on my Patreon from time to time. A lot mm -hmm. of people leave comments like, wow, this is so amazing. I've, I've never seen anything like this before. Because it is, it does look like a very like spiritual, like nature in human sort of an image, which is kind of along with the lines of the ecosexuality that we were talking about. Yeah, thank you. I think that's part of why I think the double exposures are so magical is because it helps put a visual to the feelings that I have. It like literally shows us that we're connected because like if you have like ferns coming out of your chest or something that like <laughs> that visual to me is a lot more. It's something I can feel more if I can see it than if I just like think about our connection. If I like see like plants growing out of me or me coming out of a waterfall or something, then that helps me to to feel it more than just conceptualize it. That's awesome. Yesterday, in preparation for this episode and conversation, I posted a question on my Instagram story asking photographers, what do you think about self-portraits? And I got a lot of responses. And the gist of a lot of the responses that I got from photographers were that they're really hard or it's great to try self-portraits when you're experimenting with a new technique. And some photographers said, you know, I would never do them. Nobody wants to see a photo of me. Oh, <laughs> so how would you respond to any of those? <laughs> so self-portraits being really hard. I agree. That can be extremely hard. The self-portraits are being a good way to experiment with new techniques. I definitely agree with. I feel like there are some things that you have you kind of have to have a model for in order to see if the technique or whatever you're trying to do is going to work. But you don't want to necessarily like bring another person into it while you're just experimenting. You don't think you don't know if anything's going to come out right or not in the first place. So you don't want to like waste their time with this experimental like playing around. So when you can do self-portraits, you can literally do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever character you want to be. You can experiment with whatever technique or like thing that you want to try. And you don't have to worry about what other people want out of the image. You don't have to worry about what other people think of the image. You don't have to worry about anything else other than just like how you're feeling, what you want to do, and how you want the self-portraits to come out. And to me, there's a lot of power and freedom in that because it's like pure creativity and you don't have to like, like think about what someone else would want. And even if you end up hating all of the photos, you don't have to share them. And there's nobody that's going to be disappointed that they didn't get their photos because it's you and you get to decide that. Yeah, I love that too. Also, one thing that I really like about self-portraits is it's your image and you own the copyrights to them. So you could yes. sell prints if you want. You could put them on any website you want. You could put them nowhere, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. with whatever you want. There's, It's not like somebody took a photo of you, 
you maybe like or don't like, and then they have it at the top of the Google search engine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there is there is a good power in self-portrait, and I've taken quite a few. I find that I want to get more into creative self-portraits because a lot of the self-portraits that I've taken have been for the purpose of like sharing on Patreon or for the purpose of updating my portfolio or showing a location that I found. But the times that I have done self-portraits where it was just purely creative are the times that I got photos that I was the most excited about. Yeah, I definitely relate to that a lot. Because sometimes you feel like you have to like cater to a certain mood or community or like something that you have to do. But when you really get the chance to just purely be creative and do it just because you want to and because you're inspired to, that's I feel like when the most magic happens. True, true that. And in addition to that, anytime, not every time, but a lot of the times in the past when a photographer and I were communicating about doing a Patreon collaboration where I would be able to also share the images on Patreon, I have found that the sometimes, not every time, but sometimes the photographers are worried about like what my Patreon needs or like, oh, does everything have to be shot like at the same cropping or like they, they have mm. these things in mind where they think, oh, it has to be like this. And I'm like, no, I contacted you because I like your creative style. Let's do something creative and then I can also share it. But then the idea that like the purpose of the photos is also to be shown like on a pay site or a subscription site just even that like one element can affect the creativity of the shoot sometimes definitely i've definitely experienced that too like or especially even just feeling like oh i need to create something for my page because i haven't shared something in x amount of time like let me just go make something so i can share it instead of oh i'm excited and inspired let me go create something and then later on be like oh yeah i could share this too it's a totally different vibe and I definitely can tell a difference in the photos if it's like one or the other. And I think the people that follow you can also kind of feel the different vibe as well. Yes. Yeah, totally. I find perhaps it's my age. I'm not sure if it's me getting older and maturing or me becoming more sensitive or whatever. But I find that when I'm scrolling on Instagram and I'm seeing photos, it's not a person's facial expression or pose in the photo, but for some reason there's something about a photo where I can tell if it's genuine or not, or if the, the model in the photo was like also creatively involved, like mentally with what was happening, or if it was just they were going through the motions, like you can tell somehow. Yeah, you can, for sure. I don't exactly know how, but there's a vibe. <laughs> there's a vibe, there is a vibe. And there's another topic that you mentioned before we started the podcast that I also want to talk about. You wanted to go down into the topic of queerness. And I find this very fascinating because over the course of time that we've known each other, you have like bloomed into this person that you truly are. And I'd love to hear more about how that process came to be. Thank you. I'll try to give you kind of a shorter version of the long version of the story. Uh, just because I know you have a limited time. But for, so I'm 33 right now. For most of my life, I thought I was cis. I thought I was straight. I thought that there was nothing like queer about me. Even though now looking back, I was so queer and I just had no idea. But 
like <laughs> compulsory heteronormativity like got me good. But when I went on that cross country road trip in 2019, I had a lot of time to myself and a lot of time to like think about things and explore things alone and just like literally the 69 days of just me and my van was eye-opening and by the time I got home so at this time I had hair to my elbows so my hair was pretty long by the time I got home I was sick and tired of my hair and for my entire life leading up to this I was terrified of cutting my hair short I like I guess part of my girl identity was attached to like how long my hair was but by the time I got home from my trip I was like I'm sick of my hair I want it gone so my mom and my sister and I hung out and like got naked and hung out in the backyard of my childhood home and my mom shaved my head my hair was like maybe an inch long and we took a video of it and everything like <laughs> it was really sweet and then looking at myself after getting that haircut was I don't even know how to describe it but it was like oh wow this is more me than I ever thought that I could be and I never realized it and also why was it so scary before and then within like a week of that I had a gender discussion with my sister as we were walking in the park and I was like hey I think I'm non-binary and I want to go by they them pronouns and she was so sweet and so like affirming of that and she reminded me of several ways that I was like obviously queer when I was a kid that I'd forgotten about <laughs> so that was really wonderful and great but I think a big part of my discovery of myself had to do with the fact that I had just gotten separated from my long-term relationship like the month before I went on my trip I think a lot of my identity was also wrapped up in the fact that I like was a wife and was a part of this like couple. And once I was outside of that, I got to like build who I actually was out of what was left. It helped me realize how much like all that previous stuff never actually really fit me. And I was just going along with like what society was expecting of me or what I thought the society was expecting of me. And it's been really freeing and like revolutionary to me to be able to just like let go of all the societal expectations and just do what feels right for me and myself and like the relationships that I'm in and all that kind of thing. Like it feels really good. That's so cool. That's awesome. I mean, that's, if you don't mind the adjective, I think that's a very punk rock way to live. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, because I've like since also like come to the understanding that non-monogamy is my preferred type of like relationship. And I feel like I had to go through a lot of those experiences of things that I thought I should do. And I did all those things like the American dream is like you meet someone and you fall in love and you get married and you live together. And like, I did all of those things and I was not fulfilled by that. And then coming out of that, it just like helped me realize that the world is a much bigger place than we initially think it is. And I didn't realize I was queer until I was 29 wow. and that's okay. Everybody has a different timeline. And sometimes I'm jealous of the people that like know they're queer 
from like birth because I didn't know like I it was like repressed out of me by society and like just the expectations of the kind of body that I have so I'm really glad that I'm here in this place and I hope that if someone is questioning their gender or sexuality or any of that I hope that they are able to be curious and explore that and not be judgmental and to just see what actually works for them instead of what they think they should do. Yeah, I mean, the world is a create your own adventure. And if you don't want to do the cookie cutter way, like you don't have to. And I think that your example, you know, really is a way to show that like you can find your true roots and you can be yourself without having to conform to what the rest of the world tells you you're supposed to be <laughs> exactly yeah 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 and when, when we did that hike when you came through seattle with your van that that was during that trip and i remember you talking about that you had just separated from your partner and i was i forget if i had like just broken up with my partner at the time or if i was about to i honestly i can't remember exactly what month of the year that was but probably we were july both Okay, yeah, I had just broken up with my partner at the same time, and I, we were probably commiserating about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry if I trauma dumped on you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sometimes I just gotta let stuff out. Yeah. The waterfall I remember washes that. it all away. Yes, the waterfall was beautiful. That that is one of my favorite hikes up there. But that was probably shortly before you did shave your head, and I also shaved my head this year, so I can relate a little bit to like. When your long hair is gone, like it's not that scary anymore. You're like, oh, this is actually cool. And now there's a whole new like appearance that I have that I'm like, I can embody this. Like I don't have to have that long hair anymore. And I was personally like I had an extreme ego tied up in my hair mm -hmm. that like I didn't really realize it so much because I had always viewed myself as this like non egocentric person, even though. I am. Everybody has ego, right? But the length of the hair was, it is like a status thing. You're like, I am a female because of my long hair, or this is my identity. And, you know, I look good because of my long hair or whatever, but yeah. it doesn't have to be like that. And now that I don't have that anymore, I feel like I have, I feel like my hair was holding a lot of like shame in my identity and once it was all shaved off a lot of my preconceived notions about who I was also left mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing how like a visual change in like your person in your being of like what other people perceive you like it can be so transformative whether it's about gender or about ego or about like beauty like it's amazing how much of a difference it can make just with like a haircut. Yeah. Also, I feel that being your true self and rejecting traditional beauty standards or whatever you want to call it, I feel like you feel you automatically filter out so many people that shouldn't be in your life anyway by just being yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So true. There's another part of my podcast that I like to call the Rising Phoenix era. And I feel like like I mentioned earlier, we've kind of talked about a lot of this like rising phoenix transformation type thing throughout the course of this podcast. But I would like to hear from you if you'd like to add to that or summarize 
can you describe a situation where you were faced with either a challenge or a career change or like something in your life where you had to overcome? So like I mentioned before, I've, I was primarily like full-time working for other people while I was doing the freelance modeling work. But in 2019, all those changes happened and I became self-employed in 2019. And that was extremely scary because you're kind of like jumping off into the unknown and there's no guarantee that you're going to get work and like you don't know how you can get insurance and like there's so much wrapped up into that. But I was miserable where I was working and it was draining me and I was becoming jaded and I was turning into a person that I didn't like. At the same time, it was secure and it was like the best benefits I'd ever had from a job. And like, it was really hard because I, part of me felt like I was giving away something that was really beneficial in my life in terms of like finances and security, but my mental health was more important and my like willingness and ability to be myself was important. And so I made the decision to leave my job and be self-employed. And that was really scary. And it was also like the best decision I made at that time because I am kind of scared to think about how I, like who I would have become if I had stayed in that job. Well, I guess to give you some more specific information, I worked at the front desk at a doctor's office and I was promoted to referrals coordinator. So it was like my job before I left was to be scheduling the specialist appointments for all of the patients at the primary care doctor's office that I worked for. So that included like stat referrals for like imaging and stuff. So like if somebody was maybe having a heart attack or like a stroke or something, I would have to like call their insurance and get it approved and get them like an appointment at like the closest possible soonest time like right now because it has to happen because they're like life is in danger kind of thing so it was like so stressful and I had already started like not believing people when they said they were in pain because we had so many people that would like seek narcotics from the providers that would provide those and I just like I was turning into somebody that I didn't like. I was turning into somebody that was jaded and like didn't care about people. And that is not me. And I like, when I realized that, I was like, I need to get out. I'm changing into a person that doesn't care about other people. And I cannot do that. Like, I can't let myself do that. Like, that's against my values. Like, everybody matters. And I want to believe people when they say they're in pain. So yeah, like, even though the benefits were great and I got paid like decently, I guess. But yeah, my... My mental health and my, like, ability to have empathy was more important. I can relate to that a bit. I'm, I've am i not, like, seeked narcotics before, but I have felt that, like, a medical provider did not believe me in the past when I was describing pain. So my sister's a nurse, and she has to deal with that a lot, too. So I'm sure a lot of people listening can probably relate to that in, in some aspect. But, yeah, that industry, that can burn you out and make you jaded. And I I feel like sometimes even being a freelance model can burn me out and make me jaded. And I find that (laughs) it depends on who you're working with and how frequently you're taking certain types of bookings and stuff. But but it's good that you recognized it and you changed your life's path because you found that you were becoming somebody that you didn't like. That's really good that you have such a great amount of like introspection and the ability to 
decide what you want for yourself and who you really are. And I think that that simple thing is finds itself to be a mystery to a lot of other people. A lot of other mm. people are possibly just going through motions or like feeling like, oh, I should be feeling this way for whatever reason, but maybe not having the tools to understand why they're not being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I'm in another crossroads part of my life right now where I know that something needs to change, but I'm not exactly sure what or how. So I'm like kind of riding that wave again already. It seems like a cyclical thing for me. Like I'll do something for a few years and it'll be good until it's not. And then I'm like, okay, I'm in this like stuck place and I need something to change. So now I'm in that place of figuring out what that change needs to be. Yeah. I think that's normal. I feel that in waves also. I like get really excited about starting something new and then I'll lose steam eventually. But something that has always remained consistent is that I like being creative and I want my income to be something creative. And you had mentioned that you have events that you put on. I'd like to talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit more. So the big event that I'm doing that's coming up soon is I'm on like I'm a volunteer for a nonprofit that puts on a festival here in North Carolina every September. So it's coming up really soon. Cool. Um, it's called Soul Harmony Fest. It's a holistic healing arts festival. It's a three day. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's September 22nd through 24th. There are classes all day, every day. The classes come with like your pass for the festival. So you don't have to pay anything extra. The classes are on various topics like yoga, breath work, sound healing, meditation. I'm teaching a self-portrait class. My mom's doing a plant walk. There's all kinds of different like class topics, but there's also vendors and healers and food trucks. There's going to be silent discos. It's family friendly. So there's even like kids classes and kids are, you know, all prancing around the festival the whole time like fire circles what else there's like so much that happens that's awesome <laughs> oh my gosh that's so cool your mom's involved also that's amazing yeah yeah we both like volunteer for the nonprofit, and we've been doing a lot of work in the previous months to like help get this going this is the third year like this year i did the website for soul harmony fest so if you go to the website i have probably touched it whatever you're looking at but i'm super excited because there's gonna be camping and glamping and last year was incredible and i'm so excited to be a part of it again this year 